This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, folks. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski, and I'd like to talk to you tonight about the worst trades of the decade of the 1970s. Now, a good friend of mine who enjoys listening to my podcasts here on the Sports History Network uh, commented to me recently that he would like to hear me discuss about something about the worst trades that occurred during the 1970s in pro football. It's definitely a topic that I had not addressed before. So uh, to my good buddy, Tom Adele, this one's for you. Uh, the worst trades in the 1970s in the NFL. When you actually think about it, you have to conclude that it isn't all that easy of a subject to talk about. And somewhat surprisingly, those trades uh, are not necessarily inclusive to just players, however. I'll expand on that later. But exploring the worst player trades, the focus is often on a large amount of players or draft picks being given for the services of just one player. Randomly, when one player, when that one player in question is well past his prime, Well, that gives you a blueprint for some of the worst trades in the NFL during the 70s. The Green Bay Packers, and specifically their head coach in the early 70s, Dan Devine, were involved in what I believe to be the absolute worst trade during the decade. Many have called it the worst trade in NFL history. Green Bay had several quarterbacks on the roster back in 1973 and 1974, but none of them really offered the team any real amount of success at that key position. The pack had given a chance to the likes of Jim DelGazo, Scott Hunter, Jerry Taggy, and Jack Concanon during those years. Green Bay could earn just five wins in 1973 and six wins in 1974. In October of 74, Devine gave up an incredible, get this, five draft choices for a quarterback that most experts consider to be nothing more than a has-been. The veteran from Los Angeles and previously from San Diego, John Hadle. Devine dealt the Rams the Packers' first three draft picks in 1975 and his first two draft picks in 1976, all for a 34-year-old quarterback who was not even a starter anymore in Los Angeles. It's pitiful, but it gets even worse. The Rams were prepared to waive Hadel just days after the trading deadline. The Packers could have obtained him for the staggering fee of $100. But Devine was too anxious and too paranoid. He thought somebody else was gonna pick Hadel up. As it turned out, no other team showed any interest in obtaining Hadel. So one man's bad decision and bad timing led to several years of failure in Green Bay. Devine then resigned from Green Bay immediately following the 74 season to coach at Notre Dame. But his decision for Hadel relegated his successor in Packerland, Bart Starr, into a deep abyss of being unable to be competitive in the league for a long number of years. No draft picks will do that for a team. Another bad trade also involved draft choices, but at least that trade 
that Jack Bratera made as the head coach of the one-year-old Seattle Seahawks and John Thompson, the general manager of the Seahawks made in 1977, had a smattering of hope mixed in with his decision. The Seahawks would begin their season, their second season of existence in 1977 with the second overall draft selection. There were many teams, however, who wanted to displace the Seahawks from that pick, and the deals that those teams proposed were enticing to say the least. In the end, it was the Dallas Cowboys whose proposal to Patera was the sweetest of all. Dallas general manager Tex Schramm, who's in the Hall of Fame, offered Seattle a total of three draft picks and a player on the Cowboys roster, wide receiver Duke Ferguson. The draft picks that were given up by Dallas to Seattle included the Cowboys' original first-round pick, and then there were also three second-round picks. The Cowboys used Seattle's first-round pick to obtain current Heisman Trophy winner Tony Dorsett, uh, and a future Hall of Famer, by the way. He was a tailback from the University of Pittsburgh, who would lead Dallas to a victory in Super Bowl XII in his rookie season. Dorsett also managed to carve out a Hall of Fame career for himself, as I said, and he rushed for a total of 12,739 yards in his 12 seasons in pro football. Pretty good move by Tex Schramm, if you ask me. Besides Ferguson, the players who came to Seattle back in 77 to give that uh, number one pick away included offensive lineman Steve August and Tom Lynch and linebacker Terry Beeson. None of those players came anywhere near to close to achieving the success that Dorsett did. One only wonders, how would the Seattle Seahawks have done with a rookie like Tony Dorsett on their roster in 1977? As previously mentioned, sometimes a trade can involve a coach, and this next situation was not really a trade, but it did involve the departure of someone specific. It doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, a coach that leaves one team for another for some sort of compensation usually gets a lot of headlines and notoriety. Perhaps the most shocking of coaching trades came back in 1970 when the Baltimore Colts surrendered their rights to head coach Don Shula, who was signed by the Miami Dolphins owner, Joe Robbie. The deal occurred when Baltimore owner Carol Rosenblum was out of the country. He accused Robbie of tampering with Shula and enticing Shula with a $750,000 contract and plenty of perks. Robbie claimed that Rosenblum's son gave him permission to talk to Shula. Carol Rosenblum then said that his son did not have his permission to deal Shula off to, Bal to Miami. It was one hot mess of a soap opera. In the end, NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle ruled that Shula could sign with the Dolphins, but Miami had to give the Colts their first round draft pick, which they eagerly did. Despite all that, Baltimore and Rosenblum won the Super Bowl in 1970 without Shula. Miami, Robbie, and Shula would then appear in three straight Super Bowls in 71, 72, and 73, winning the Vince Lombardi Trophy in 72 and 73. So in a way, the immediate benefits were visible for both teams. But the Dolphins had Shula, 
and all he did was become the winningest head coach in pro football history by the time he retired in 1995 after 33 years and 347 victories. One can only wonder, how would Baltimore's franchise have looked had Don Shula stayed on board on the banks of the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland instead of moving down south to Miami in 1970? Now, there are obviously many more questionable trades that occurred in the NFL during the 1970s. I can think of several, like Mike Phipps uh, going uh, for um, Paul Warfield uh, in uh, the 1970 season. And then I can also think of uh, O.J. Simpson being, uh, you know, traded to San Francisco from Buffalo. But the ones that I mentioned previously are some of the more unique, to say the least. Now, uh, the pro football in the 70s trivia question for this episode, who took over as the head coach for the Baltimore Colts after Don Shula left that team to go to coach the Miami Dolphins? You can, uh, you know, Facebook us and let us know the answer. I know the answer, but I'm sure you'll find out the answer if you don't already know the answer, because you're all diligent researchers. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of pro football in the 1970s. Join us again down the road when we once again discuss another topic of this great uh, pro football world that we live in during the 1970s. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.